Paula Fetu-Jones is a filmmaker who's probably best known for co-writing and directing the feature film about Dame Fina Cooper in 2022. But her latest work is a dark comedy series set in a spinal ward and based on her own experience when she became paralysed from the waist down as the result of an unexplained nerve damage to her spine. Spinal Destination will begin screening next month on Sky Open, starring Bree Peters and Tom Sainsbury. Tonight, Paula will be honoured at the Women in Film and Television Awards as a finalist in the Award for Outstanding Achievement in Film. Paula Fetu-Jones, Tēnākwe, welcome to Nine to Noon. Thanks for coming in today. Tēnākwe, Catherine. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on being shortlisted. You're in very impressive company with the calibre of people who've been recognised this way. I know, it's a little bit embarrassing. I feel very humbled by it all. I wouldn't be embarrassed at all. Um, Just explain the new series Spinal Destination. As we said, it's a dark comedy. What's the premise of the story? Well, as as you said in my introduction, um, it's loosely based on my experiences, which were basically I collapsed or I, I had a sore back um, within hours, I was paralysed, and um, after three weeks, went to uh, Burwood Spinal Unit. Um, and this was actually 14 years ago yesterday. So um, it's quite poignant that I'm here talking about it. So, uh, yes, so basically, it's just my experiences of having no trauma or nothing happened to me, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm paralysed. And I'm in this, this this space that's completely foreign to me. And no one could sort of tell me what was going on. So I, I started writing. I started documenting it because I just thought that I would get better. I'd, I'd, um, I'd uh, you know, nerve in my back, um, pinched a nerve or something that could be easily fixed. But, um, of course, 14 years later, I'm, I'm still in a wheelchair and... I was just carrying on life as normal or, or tried to as normal as I could uh, with my family. I, I went down to Burwood. I was actually in Hawke's Bay when it happened. And I went down to Burwood because I wanted to be far away from Auckland, which is where I was based at the time. Uh, I just wanted to get better and then get back to work and, and, and carry on. And so no one know. You did all this without people knowing? Well, yeah, I, I tried. <laughs> I tried. Yeah. I tried. I tried really hard to sort of keep working, and uh, I just, oh, I'm just in hospital. Just had a little. Nothing happened. It wasn't a car accident. It's fine. It's just, uh, you know, obviously exhaustion. This is what's incredible, and, and I want to come back to the vehicle that you use to tell your story, uh, because there's a there's a lot of laughs in it. Um, the, the, you know, there's a um, the. the it's an incredibly accessible way for audiences to become part of a person's very, you know, traumatic experience. But, you know, just what you actually went through, it was a matter of hours, wasn't it? Um, yeah, literally. I was I was travelling from Wairua to Hawke's Bay and um, had a sore back while driving in the car. Just thought it was, you know, sore back from driving around. I'd been working on a child abuse, the big child abuse doco that was... Um, happening uh, the three hour one that Carol Hirschfeld was doing for Māori television so I was doing research for that and I just thought I was tired and sore and you know whatever else we have and got to Hawke's Bay to pick up my daughter who was 11 at the time and my sore back was getting worse and I 
did all the exercises, took the Nurofen, jumped in the bath, and that's when my legs went. It's incredible. Mm. And I guess what you're alluding to is if there had been um, a reason, if there had been an event, that would be challenging enough as it is, obviously, yeah. for people in every way. But this was literally a one in a million yeah. I think I, I think I read of you writing it as a one in a million event that sh- that's supposed to happen to someone else, and, and, it, and it happened to you. Yeah, yeah, it totally was. And I, I mean, I still can't reconcile it in my head mm. because nothing happened. I wasn't sick. I was tired, but you know, we all get tired. I wasn't sick. I w- didn't crash. Didn't fall. Didn't nothing. Nothing happened. Idiopathic myelitis. Is that correct? Yeah, idiopathic. That- idiopathic transverse myelitis. Yeah. Right. So you're in Burwood, and because of the way this has happened, in your mind, and this may be common, help me with my ignorance, may be common to anyone who's in Burwood with such a life change, in your mind, this was temporary, things would change. Um, Could you speak to a little bit more about the experience that you went through before we talk about how this is shared through the series? Um, yeah, in my mind, I was just, I was there for a short time, so it was good, I was going to have a bit of a rest, so I kind of treated it as such. Um, I was in the Hastings Hospital, and it was interesting, because I've never spent any time in hospital other than having children, and I sort of saw it differently, because I, I felt like I was just visiting and um, But things were certainly really hard because I didn't have sort of control over my bowels and bladder, and so that was humiliating. But I tried to do everything myself. So, you know, my poor mother had to, she come in and she was trying to shower me, and I'm fighting. I'm, I just fought everybody. And um, I actually watched a, a doco that I made in 2012 the other day trying to find a cure, and I was horrible. <laughs> It was horrible. It was horrible because I just, you know, the 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 longer I stayed in the hospital, the da- the darker I got mm. because no one could sort of tell me. And it felt now it wasn't like this, but it felt like nobody cared about trying to help me um, find a cure because it was so. It's it's such a rare. It's probably not now, but 14 years ago it was, and there's no rhyme or reason. And so they were doing all these tests on me and coming up with nothing. Um, and I'm, I was a doco maker, so I'm, I'm in the library and I'm trying to, you know, find out myself. And um, just, but also I was, I was put in the neurological ward with the dementia ladies, and that, that opened my eyes quite a bit because I was the only one that couldn't move. Um, so I became their best friend. You every were day. writer. <laughs> you do what writers do. Yeah, and and even in the depths here, and it got mm. pretty dark, right? Yeah, writing was your way of processing, and it's that writing now, yeah, that it, that's informed the series. Um, let's talk a little bit about it and, and how you've approached it. Um, it. It begins when your main character, played by Bree Peters, yeah, um, has been in the spinal unit for two weeks. Yeah. She's angry and sassy and disbelief in, in her circumstances and some of the people around her. Introduce us to some of the other characters. Um, the psychologist's entry is quite memorable, Paula, if I could say at the start. Yeah. Who are some of yeah. the other characters who help tell the story? 
Um, well, John Landreth's our number two, and he's an actor, and he had an uh, accident about four years ago, and he's an incomplete tetraplegic, and he is he's fantastic. It wouldn't be the same show without him because he has authentic experiences, of course, being um, in Burwood too. Uh, but um, he was a lot more he was a lot more happier happier than I was when I was there, and um, a lot more willing to to uh, accept what they were sort of trying to help him do. And uh, so he plays John. John plays John. Uh, and he... Him and, him and Tessa, who, who play, who's um, Brie plays, uh, be, are enemies at first but become friends because they sort of share... He's kind of like her, her voice of reason... He doesn't say, "Look, let's all we just we've got to get on." It's like, "Yeah, this this is shit. It is horrible for us, but we just got to deal with it." And and you know, we're all in this together, kind of thing. And and they become really quite close. And then we have um, Tom Sainsbury who plays Dan. Now Dan's got a decubitus ulcer. And um, you probably can tell by the fact he calls it a decubitus ulcer uh, on his bum so he's on a bed where he rolls himself so he's lying flat and he is because his um decubitus also keeps getting inflamed uh so he he's he's the guy that knows everything about everything and wants to be involved in everything um and he is oh my gosh so funny so he's fantastic this is this is the thing, and this is your point, really. Um, you've got all these characters and all their personalities in these situations, as you do anywhere. But tell me what it was like convincing people that a series set here about this would work. What was your path? Well, it was it was hard. It was it was really hard because everyone's going like, "Yeah, a spinal unit doesn't sound very funny," and I'm going, "But it is, and it was. It, it it's we still we don't just lose our senses of humour." when we end up in wheelchairs you know if anything we we're laughing we're laughing with each other and and that was a beautiful thing i i think being able to write this is that um all of the things that we do as people right is we we still have the same things happening to us when we're sitting down we a lot of us have got pain and a lot of us have to take medication and um you know a lot of us have different beliefs like we've got um oscar who plays Ed. Now, Ed's a young man who's deeply religious and is trying to reconcile that with his, um, with his accident. And he's, he's, he's kind of like the baby of the group, and he's very innocent, and he's just beautiful, and w- he, everyone tries to help him, like you would in, a, in any other situation where there's a young man that's grappling with all sorts of things. Um, and so you sort of... It, it moves from your own... It, it moves from the things that you are sad or, or concerned about for yourself, on, and, and you've got this young man who's you know got his whole life ahead of him, and he's been told he's never going to walk again. There are plenty of opportunities for humour. Um, you, you've spoken about the intimacy video where it's almost a bit like being back at high school. I don't know what, what high school was like for you. It was worse at high school. It's worse than at high school. Tell me more. 
It was like so. This this we actually ended up getting hold of this video because I'm I'm thinking maybe you know how you you think maybe you remembered it differently, but oh no, I remembered it exactly the same. And I did talk about some of the people. I took talk to some of the people who were in the spinal unit with me. So remember that video that we all had to sit there and watch. It was hor- horrifying and hilarious all at the same time, but also probably pretty scary because people don't really talk or think about intimacy when it comes to, you know, um, people in chairs or people with paralysis or disabled people. It's not sort of something that comes up. But so we were confronted with this video that was from about the 80s. So if you can imagine 80s porn, that's what it was. Like, it was, and, and we all had to sit there together and watch it. It was so funny and awkward and weird. But, it, you know, it was one of the things that stuck in my mind that we, we're no longer individuals. We were just all sort of sat together and it was like, oh, yeah, here we go. We're going to have a chat about intimacy with everybody. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we, 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 didn't, we, couldn't, we couldn't get permission to actually use the real one. So we had to make our own. <laughs> You have, uh, or Bree's character rather, um, has an alter ego as well. She's constantly yeah. referencing back to yeah. before losing her, um, um, before the paralysis. Yeah. Look, it's um, it's it, it is it is a, a wonderful invitation, as you say, and a brave invitation into um, uh, a setting where people might have doubts, and then you're in there and and you're into a story, and you're into the characters, and you're into everything that's happening there. Yeah. What what sort of reviews so far? Because it's screening in the UK already, and there's been some nice, pretty positive resu- reviews so far, Paula. Oh, it's not screening in the UK. That's what? just a, that's just a, that's this that's their um, that's their shout out to um, their sales pitch. It's not screening yet. Okay. They just were. They're getting it out to. Um, have festivals. they got people watching it privately? Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and what's coming out of that then? Is it? Oh, uh, they they love it. Yeah. It, it's it's new. You know, it's a it's a it's a funny gang story about people in wheelchairs that you don't actually realise that you're actually watching people in wheelchairs because it's not about people in wheelchairs. If you know what I mean. It's about people. It's about people who have suffered trauma and loss and heartbreak and. All of a sudden, they have these massive decisions, huge, life-changing decisions that they have to make, and it's you know it's all happened pretty quickly, and um, they they form this bond, and it's that they don't all love each other, of course, that they have arguments and they, but it's it's that sense of sameness, and they're all sort of moving in the same direction, um, while they're in there, but they've got these things happening, you know, privately as well, um, like. Tessa having her alter ego, we all know that when we're in situations when we're feeling really vulnerable, there are things that go on in our heads that we want, you know, to happen. And um, but you can't. The social social structures say we can't go and punch somebody in the face when when they're annoying us, or you know, doesn't <laughs> stop you thinking it though. Doesn't stop you thinking it. Does not stop you thinking it. And I mean, this is the perfect breeding ground for. Feeling like that because you have no independence. So when you've come from a fiercely, ind- you know, I've, I've been fiercely independent my whole life to have people having to help me shower and go to the toilet and all of that stuff. It was, it was, you know, fourteen and fourteen years ago. I was I was a 
in the prime of my life. I was 40 and I was my youngest child was 11, so I was going to go off and do cool stuff. Uh, and then I couldn't because well, I couldn't walk. You have, though, and we're going to talk more about yeah. that in a moment. Paula Fetu-Jones is our guest, and Spinal Destination, this comedy series uh, based on her own experience, is screening on Sky Open next month, starring uh, Brie Peters and Tom Sainsbury, among others. 23 minutes past 10 on 9 to noon. You have gone on and done incredible things, but part of your story is the barriers that we do put up for people, right? Um, and starting right at the with the situation we were in, where you were in, where the uh, paralysis was caused not by an accident, and therefore you're on the sickness benefit, right? And without yeah. ACC, <clears throat> you know, numerous people have drawn attention to the anomaly here. Yeah. Um, and what we what were your other experiences early on? Um, um, I mean, it's it's. It was complete. I was completely f- flat and devoid of who I was. Who I was was based so much on the ability to get around and quickly and do lots of stuff. You know, I was a single working mother. Um, I was a documentary maker. When we're in our in our industry, we've always got like five or six things going at once, and all of a sudden, I just I can't even get out of the car. You know, funny when people used to say to me, "Don't hurry," I'm like, "Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not. It's impossible for me to hurry." But you know, and and it was a sense of myself that was probably the biggest barrier. Um, I I didn't want to be seen in a wheelchair, so I'd try and hobble around with a brace on my leg and crutches, and it'd take me so long, and I'd be absolutely exhausted. And and just the, I, I lost everything. I ended up having to live with my mum, and and you know, I, and then I was trying to go back to work, and so I came up to Auckland, and they put me in an accessible house. IRD came to see me while I was in the spinal unit to see how I could figure, you know, how I could work out paying my taxes and stuff, because I'd already been a contractor for a long time, and I mean, I didn't know what to tell them because I didn't know what was, uh, well, and I didn't know what was wrong with me, and I didn't know when I was going to get better. I knew I was going to get better, but I didn't know when, so I didn't have any answers for anybody. Could I pause? Did IRD come to the spinal unit while you were there to yes. ask you how you were going to pay your taxes? Yes. Yes, they did. And because I was so ashamed of everything, you know, like I said, it was my own in my own head. I was ashamed of of how I'd ended up like this. I was ashamed that I couldn't finish the jobs that I was doing. I could, I, all, all of that stuff. I couldn't look after my my child because um, we were about to go to the Middle East to live. My my eleven year old and I and work over there. Excuse me. What was the turning point that got you back doing a series of amazing productions? That, that was that was there a, was there an opportunity? <clears throat> that you just said, I'm going to make this happen? Yeah, when my son died. Oh, Paula. So in 2013, my 22-year-old son, he took his own life, and I just, I don't even know what happened that next year. I I couldn't tell you. Um, But, excuse me, when he died, I sort of took a long, hard look at myself, um, and I have two daughters whom I love and are very proud of and have had such a hard time 
you know, it hasn't been easy for us. And um, I just looked at, um, you know, I looked backwards for a, for a minute and I sort of talked to my girls and, and I apologised to them for not doing what I should have done. And parental guilt is going to, doesn't matter what we do, doesn't matter how fantastic we are, doesn't matter all, the, all of that stuff, there's always something that's pretty grounding when you, you know, when you have to face your kids and when something like this happens. So um, I just thought, actually, there's, there's nothing can hurt me any more than this. So I'm just going to chuck it all out there. And I did. And it's worked. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that it's had, it hasn't been easy at all. Because as soon as I roll in, no one expects me to be the filmmaker. No one expects me to be the boss. And um, they treat me as such until they, you know, until they realise. And then um, then they treat me different. Kia ora. And all I could think of is Dame <laughs> Fina. <laughs> you know, that, um, that spirit is something you share. This has involved trips overseas, uh, Doko in Cambodia. Um, perhaps we should talk about Dame Fina's documentary, however, and how you came to tell this story of this um, kuya, I don't have the correct word, for the esteem in which she's held not only in Tao Māori but mm. right throughout this, this nation. How did that opportunity come? Well, <clears throat> well um, Matthew Metcalf and Tainui Stevens approached me and um, asked me if I would um, come on board with James Napier Robertson. And um, I have to admit, I didn't know that much about um, Dame Fina Cooper, and um, I knew what what you know what we were taught at school, but uh, I didn't know to the extent of her achievements and just what a oh my gosh, what a trailblazer! Like we didn't we didn't get half, we didn't get three quarters of the things that Dame Fina did in that film, but um, the first thing I did. Is, um, or James and I did, is we went to Pangaru to talk to Hanarangi, um, Puru and um, Joseph, who, are her, uh, who were her uh, surviving children. Um, since then, Joseph has passed. But um, Hanarangi, oh my God, she's a force of nature too. She is just like her mama. But we talked to them and asked them, because it didn't matter to me who wanted me to do it or who offered me you know, the job, if if they weren't happy with me or James doing the film, we weren't going to do it. And so we, we took the trip to Pangaru and we spent some time with Hinarangi and we spent some time with Joseph and we spent some time with um, some of the whanau uh, and, yeah, they gave us their blessing. And so they were instrumental in telling their mums and their nannies' story. Um, Arini Kupa was the one of the EPs. Hinarangi was our sounding board. Uh, a lot of the clothes and that and, and bits and pieces were Dame Finners. And it was just a... We filmed in Pangaru. We filmed in the church that um, Hera Mia, who's uh, Dame Finners' dad, built. It was such a beautiful experience. Um, Leon Nabi, beautiful Leon, he was our DOP, and he filmed the doco in 1975. He was the camera operator. So there's all these, these idiosyncrasies that um, 
happened that made this film what it what it you know what it ended up being and i'm very blessed to have been part of it Paula, you're also working on a documentary on Alan Kerr's life-saving work with Palestinian children and also the work of his wife, Hazel. For those who don't know their story, please could you give us an indication of it and and, and where that project is at? Because that's another great labour of love, isn't it? Yeah, it's totally a labour of love. So Dr Alan, I sort of rocked up to him about 15 years ago, knocked on his door. And um, I'd done a story for Māori Television for one of their... um, Christmas pieces about fantastic humans and um, Irina Tamipo who was uh, my producer had had him work on her and her son. Um, He's a paediatric cardiac surgeon and um, she said we've got to go and see this man he's amazing so off I go knock on the door because that's what we do right we just go and knock on people's door. Um, I don't know whether they do that now but we certainly did it back then and um, Hazel answered and I sort of explained who I was and so we had a we had a chat and I was in awe that these that this couple was volunteering their time in Palestine didn't know anything about Palestine nothing and um, to save the lives of Palestinian children by doing pediat- uh, by doing cardiac surgery and he was also building you know helping to build the infrastructure there in the hospitals, uh, Makar said, and in Gaza. And um, he'd been going back and forth since 2000 with, uh, again, another amazing New Zealand teams, just volunteering. They didn't, you know, and and Hazel would go along with him. And I'm like, oh, people need to know about this. But do you think I could get funding <laughs> to to tell this story? I got I got told some pretty sort of horrific things about why they didn't want to fund it. And I'm just like... Well, actually, no, we're going to do it. We're going to do it ourselves. So, so are, you, are you funding now, fundraising now, I understand, Paul? Yeah, we've, we've, we've raised some funds thanks to um, the PCRF, uh, and we are editing at the moment. I've got a young girl who's completely invested in putting it together. It's 15 years' worth of footage. The, the formats are all different, different kinds, so that's a nightmare. And just revisiting the, the project, but we... Um, Dr. Allen's, I don't know whether I'm allowed to talk about people's ages on on here, but he just turned 89, and I'm desperate to get this done mm. for him and Hazel. You've got um, uh, you've got a, uh, all the footage is shot on mm. old school as well, isn't it? So, oh, yeah. So there's a massive project there. Yeah, there is. Are but, you crowdfunding um, at the moment for it? I think are you? Um, oh yeah, we've yeah we are. We've got we've got um we've got some funds to keep the editor going because although you know the the. The filming and stuff's done. Uh, we still we have to pay an editor and we have to get it online and pay for the music. Um, and it's been 15 years and we've just been chipping away for it. We've had a few editors, but you know when the money runs out, we can't expect people to work for free. But uh, we are excited that the film will be um, completed by the end of April and we've got a, a, a date that we're going to screen it for all the people that have helped. And then I'm just going to give it away. I, <laughs> this is just one thing people should know about this couple. And it's called The Doctor's Wife um, because Hazel is like the unsung hero. Like, Dr. Allen's amazing. There's no doubt about that. And all the people that do the work are amazing. But she's pretty amazing too. She's 
Yeah, Mickey Nui, uh, Paula, I think people are hearing just some of the reasons why you're a finalist for this accolade tonight. Um, a, a career achievement in filmmaking, all the best for it. I hope it's a wonderful celebration amongst a lot of uh, wahine toa. Thank um, you. And uh, <laughs> kia ora. And people will look forward to the chance to see Spinal Destination, which begins screening next month on Sky Open. Um, kia ora again, Paula Kakite. Paula Fetu Jones.